You guys are so awesome. <laughs> Growing up, I wasn't very responsive. Well, you could say that things I want to hear, I pay very close attention to. But the things I don't want to hear, they go in one ear and out the other. My parents and my rest of my family can bear witness to them. In fact, they're right back there and they're probably saying amen to each other right now. <laughs> Hey guys, yeah, I see you. Anyways. But for example, if you want to talk to me about the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl this year, then I'm all ears and I'm very responsive. Let's talk about that. We beat the Titans, like, come on. <laughs> but if you want to talk to me about how great the Lord of the Rings is, that goes in one ear and out the other. I, I've tried so hard. There's probably a record somewhere that I've beaten, like how many times I've tried to watch it but failed. It just, it just goes in one ear and out the other. But sometimes I feel this way about God's word. Sometimes I feel like it goes in one ear and out the other. But other times it seems like I'm ready to respond and I'm ready to pay attention. But other times not. And maybe you feel this way about God's word too. So we have to ask the question, how should we respond to God's word? And I think the story of King Josiah from 2 Kings 22 and 23 can help us out this morning. So if you have your Bibles, grab them and open up to 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. And I think Josiah can help us out this morning. I think that we should first respond to God's word with convictive action. When hearing God's word, we should be moved towards a conviction that calls us to put God's word into action. When the boy king Josiah took the throne at age eight, he didn't waste any time as he began to seek God and follow in all of his ways. Our text begins in 2 Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adaiah of Bozkath, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in all the way of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Josiah is one of the best kings to reign ever. There was no king like Josiah because he turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might. Josiah is a king who fits the ideal king described back in Deuteronomy. And even as a young boy king, he purges Judah and Jerusalem of all the high places, the ashram, the carved in the metal images, and breaks down altars. He is a king who is like none other. But the story doesn't end here. King Josiah is moved to repairing the temple. He's moved to convictive action, and it may have been left a disaster after the reign of King Manasseh. You remember King Manasseh, the one who filled the streets of Jerusalem with blood, evil, wicked, but he repented later on life, so he's, he's pretty cool. He's okay. But King Josiah, he authorizes Shaphan, his secretary, to authorize Hilkiah to disperse money in order to repair the temple. And as Hilkiah's doing this, he's giving out money. He's like, here, here you go. He comes across a scroll and he's like, oh yes, a scroll. Let's look it up and see what it has to say. And he looks at it and he's like, oh, this is interesting. Hey, um, Shaphan, you, you might want to come take a look at this. Yes, right now it's that important. And Shaphan comes over 
and he looks at the book of the law and he starts to read it and he's like, oh my gosh, this is interesting. I bet King Josiah would love to hear this. And so he takes the book of the law, he's, he's going back, and he's like, hey, um, King Josiah, we've dispersed money and the temple repairs are underway. Everything's good. Oh, also, we found the book of the law. You, would you like to hear it? And this is where we reach the climactic part of the story. How will King Josiah respond to God's word? How will he respond after so many wicked kings who neglected God's word? God's word either spurs people to response in obedience and mission, or it leaves them even more hard-hearted and in rejection. This hearing of God's word motivates King Josiah to convictive action. Josiah tears his clothes when he hears God's word being read to him. And maybe Shaphan read Deuteronomy 27 and 28 to King Josiah about blessings for obedience, but cursings for disobedience. I can imagine Josiah's pain and Josiah's heartache as the book of the law is being read to him. I can imagine him coming down off of his throne onto his knees, weeping, saying, what have we done? What have we done? Our sin and our disobedience, we have forsaken the Lord. Josiah is concerned. Is it too late to change? Is it too late to respond to God's word? Josiah hopes that God, even in his mercy and in his forgiveness, will still yet be that way for a sinful and for a wicked and for a disobedient people. And Josiah desires to know the answer. And so with convictive action, he seeks out Huldah, the prophetess. And she states that Judah and Jerusalem they're going to exile. There's no doubt about it. But Josiah, you will die in peace. Why? Don't miss this part in verse 19 of chapter 22. Because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Can I share a bit of my heart with you this morning? I'm conflicted as I stand before you all. Sometimes I don't feel very responsive. I don't feel called to convictive action in my own, in my own life, in my own walk with God. Going to class, hearing and reading God's word, and no change or no conviction occurs in me. Or whenever I'm reading my Bible, or whenever I'm reading a devotion, I've thought, I've only read this passage a hundred times. No conviction, no change. Or whenever I've sinned and I've tried to rationalize it and say, it's not as bad as I think. No conviction, no change. And if I'm being real this morning, maybe I'm not the only one here. Remember when you came to Ozark? Maybe for some of you it was way back in the day. You, you were excited to come to Ozark. You were excited to dive deep into God's word. You were gonna read a book of the Bible every day before class, and you were gonna have an undying passion and undying conviction to serve Jesus in the local church. 
But then you realize when you get here to Ozark, it's pretty tough. It's not church camp. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. And you realize it's a lot harder than you think. And you start to think, my passion and my conviction are starting to fade. And slowly but surely, you realize that you've become jaded. You start sleeping through your biblical education, start skipping through four and dorm devos. You start to rationalize sin, thinking it's not as bad as I think. You start losing sight of why God called you here to ministry in the first place. And even worse, you start treating the Bible like a textbook rather than the Word of God. Maybe I'm being real this morning. You were once discovering wonder. You were once discovering conviction. You were once moved and you were responsive to God's word, but now you've lost the wonder and the conviction, convicted action that God's word fills us with. And maybe it's time that we take the example of King Josiah to respond with convictive action, recapturing the wonder of God's word and allowing Christ to shape and to form us rather than just merely sitting by. And maybe for you, it looks like starting your day with God's word. Before you eat breakfast, you start your day with God's word. Before you get ready for the day, take a shower, you start with God's word. Come just as you are, bedhead and all. Maybe that's what it looks like for you. Or maybe it looks like knowing God's word, keeping God's word on your heart and on your mind as you go about your day. Memorizing scripture, writing scripture down on post-it notes, putting it on your dresser, your doorpost, your um, bathroom wall, I guess, whatever you want to say. Wherever it might be that reminds you that God's word is a firm foundation that you need to keep your life circled around. And I think this is the first way that we can respond to God's word with convictive action. Here's the second way. I think we should respond with ongoing commitment. We should have the choice to commit ourselves to God and his word or not. After King Josiah took convictive action and he heard the answer from Huldah, we're led to a time of commitment. Josiah gathers all the people from Judah and Jerusalem and a time of covenant renewal is made. Our text continues in 2 Kings 23. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and with all of his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant because judgment is coming to Jerusalem and the road to exile cannot be avoided, it is a call for Josiah to renew the covenant collectively as a people, just as Moses did in Deuteronomy. You shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men, the women, and the little ones, and the sojourners within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. And we also see Joshua do this in Joshua 8. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. 
And there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the soldiers who lived among them. Joshua reads the book of the law, renewing the covenant before all of Israel. And now, here in our text, Josiah follows in that example, reading the book of the law, renewing the covenant before all of Judah and Jerusalem. And all the people committed themselves to following the Lord and his commands unswervingly. And although this commitment will be short-lived after King Josiah's death, He desires to lead the nation to true conversion to the Lord and avert the exile for as long as possible. And upon hearing God's word as a young leader, Josiah leads his people into revival and he is successful. And believe it or not, you will be leading people too. Whether in vocational ministry or not, you will lead people. You will have the power to lead people towards Jesus or away from Jesus. So choose wisely what you will do. If you are faithful to God and you find firm foundation on God's word, you will lead others, both young and old, to do the same. Faithful leaders have faithful followers. And this morning, I challenge you to commit yourself and your ministry to God's word. The written word is a firm foundation that we base our life and our ministry on. And when we abandon God's word as a firm foundation, it's not a pretty picture. And Nate will get into that in a few minutes. Your ministry should be founded on God's word. Your ministry, whether found within the church or not, should be firmly founded on God's word. When King Josiah heard God's word, he responded with convictive action. He responded with ongoing commitment. And I think that it's appropriate that we, as a community of believers looking to lead people to Jesus Christ, should renew our covenant together as we desire to seek the Lord and to lead people to Jesus Christ and to keep all of his commandments. And I think Psalm 119 puts it all together beautifully. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible, and it also mentions God's word the most. Hmm. God's word is mentioned 168 times out of 176 verses in words such as law, statutes, precepts, commandments. And so if you would, stand with me. Open your hearts and open your minds to be responsive to God's word And let's renew our covenant to seek the Lord our God, keeping all of his commandments. Repeat after me. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. 
I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Remain faithful to the Lord your God and firmly found your ministry on God's word. If you were raised anything like me, you were probably told what to do when you got lost. Uh, for me, the instructions were pretty clear. If I was to ever get separated from my mom and dad, I was supposed to stay right where I was, not move, so that they could come and find me. I mean, the logic is sound, the instructions really couldn't be clearer, but um, I mean, I was a kid, so I didn't really listen. Um, let me set the scene for you, okay? I'm between like four and seven years old. I realize that that's a very big gap, but um, I have, so I always struggle coming up with these fun little anecdotes because I just don't have like clear memories of my childhood. Um, I blame all the concussions I sustained. But um, yeah, so I, it's the holiday season. I'm at this big crowded mall with my family. Um, we're having a good time. And at some point I get lost. I just remember, like, I realized that the lady I'd been following around for, like, five minutes wasn't my mom. Um, and so I look around, and I realize that I am alone in this crowded mall. Um, and instead of listening to my parents' voice and staying put, I did what made most sense to my underdeveloped brain, and I headed out to the parking lot. I was like... <laughs> Listen, I was like, they gotta go back to the car eventually, right? Like, that seems like the natural place to meet up with them. But if you remember, you know, I'm like between four and seven years old, so I'm not um, smart. And so, I had no idea where we parked. I wander around the parking lot for a while. I don't see my car, and I'm like, I assume the worst. I'm like, they left me here. I, I live in this mall now. This is my new home. You know, I'm going to survival mode, Bear grills in my head. I'm like, I gotta find clean water, shelter, and food in that order. Um, no, I'm like freaking out, you know, I, it's, it's, it's over. But then finally, finally I see my dad in the crowd of people walking towards me with relief in his eyes and I'm found. See, Brayden just talked about basing our lives on the firm foundation of God's word. But I'm here to talk about what happens when we don't do that. I'm here to talk about our natural inclination to take things into our own hands to take the place of God and ignore the things that he has instructed us to do. The Old Testament word for that is rebellion. And no, I'm not talking about the spark that lights the fire that will burn down the, rebellion, or the empire. It's not some like noble resistance against evil. I'm talking about willful disobedience and rejection of the authority of God. It's much less noble. I'm talking about when you know that a gentle word turns away wrath, but she just keeps saying those things and someone's gotta put her in her place, right? I'm talking about when you know that you shall not lie, but hey, you read most of the book, so might as well just put 100% down. I'm talking about when you know that revenge belongs to the Lord, but that hotshot freshman just keeps parking in the parking spot you've had for over four years. Looking at you, Will. <laughs> we find all kinds of ways to put ourselves in the position of God. 
We find all kinds of ways to decide what is best in the way that we live our lives, what is best in the plans that we make for our future, and what is best in the way that we lead. And so, as Tristan said in his very kind introduction, I'm going to be talking about King Saul to talk about rebellion. Saul's one of those guys, like, I feel like I've always just wanted to feel sorry for the guy. But as I was reading back through his story to prepare for this sermon, I realized that kind of all the bad things that happened to him, he brought them on himself. Um, See, there's this really striking moment in 1 Samuel 8, where the nation of Israel rejects God's kingship, and they request a human king, a request that God surprisingly grants. And so Saul comes on the scene. Saul is described like this. Uh, He's described as handsome, a young man as can be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. So, like, picture Zach Tataro, okay? And he's just a natural candidate for king. He's crowned king, and he enjoys success in his campaigns against the Philistines, which brings us to our text today, which is 1 Samuel 15. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. 1 Samuel 15, and I'm going to start in verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek. Devote them to destruction and all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul, through Samuel, Here's the voice of the Lord. Go to Amalek and devote them to destruction. It's a dramatic phrase. But this phrase, it's the ancient idea of the ban. The ban was a common war practice in the Near East uh, of total destruction of all living things. So Samuel, he's leaving no room for interpretation. He makes it clear that Saul is to go to these people and kill everything that lives, breathes, and moves. But if you keep reading, Saul doesn't obey. Saul takes the place of God. He takes the place of the voice of God, and he chooses who to spare and who to kill. We read on in chapter 15 and verse 8. It says, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So I'm sure someone has told you this already. But in case not, um, partial obedience is not obedience. So when Samuel comes to see Saul after the battle, it's not the voice of obedient servants that he hears, but it's the voice of the sheep and the oxen that were supposed to be destroyed. And so Samuel says this, uh, continuing in verse 17, he says, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go. Devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? I want you to notice how throughout all of this, Saul's leadership position is entirely rooted in his ability to listen to God's voice. Now this word listen, it's a word that we love around here at Ozark, Shema. Um, it, It means listen, but also obey. It implies this active listening. And so Saul's leadership is completely dependent on his obedience. And I think that goes for us too. I'm standing in a room that is full of either current or future spiritual leaders of God's people. And part of the responsibility that we take on when we take that responsibility is to obey and listen to God's voice. And guys, there are consequences 
to disobedience. We read on in verse 22 where Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Rebellion leads to rejection. Disobedience disqualifies you from leadership. Saul is rejected as a leader of Israel because of his own rejection of God's word. And if we read on, we see that Saul even tries to repent. And you can go and argue in your dorms tonight on whether his repentance is legitimate, but I don't think that's really the point here. I think at the end of the day, the point is that there are severe consequences to our rebellion. Repentance, it it will reconcile your relationship with God, but it's not always going to reconcile your ministry. And it's not always going to reconcile your relationships with other people. Our rebellion and our disobedience It causes irreparable damage. But catch Saul's response. I think this is really important. In verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your word, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Did you catch it there? That four-letter word that starts with F? Uh, Fear. (laughs) Because he feared the people, He obeyed their voice instead of God. Fear leads to disobedience. Fear is the root cause of disobedience, I would say. And guys, this isn't a new problem for Saul. Fear has been a driving force throughout his entire reign. In 1 Samuel 10, 22, even after being anointed king and witnessing all of these amazing signs from God, Saul is taken by fear at the moment of his coronation and is found hiding behind all the luggage. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul offers a burnt offering that was not his to offer. He was instructed to wait for Saul, or for Samuel, sorry. But he offers it himself. Why? Verse 8 of that chapter says, because he was afraid of the men with him. And we know 1 Samuel 17 well, the story of David and Goliath. This whole story sets up a contrast between Saul and David. Saul is afraid of Goliath, while David trusts God to deliver Goliath into his hands. And this whole scene leads us to 1 Samuel 18 too where Saul fears David so much that he attempts to kill David and drives a rift in the whole kingdom. And finally, in 1 Samuel 28, Saul is so afraid that his reign is coming to an end. He's afraid of the enemies that are pressing him around him, that instead of going to God, he goes to a medium to summon for him the spirit of Samuel. But Samuel only confirms what he's been saying the whole time, that Saul has been rejected because of his rebellion. See, Saul's fear constantly put him in positions of rebellion against God. Fear is a pipeline to rebellion against God. And rebellion leads to rejection. So the question that I think we must ask now is how do we overcome fear? Let's, let's look back at, at young Nate in the mall for a minute, if, we, if you will. What was my problem? Was it just plain and simple rebellion? Was I some malicious sinner disobeying my parents? I mean, yes, but... At the end of the day, I was just afraid. I felt like I had to take it into my own hands to get myself found again. I didn't trust my parents to come back and find me. And I think that I treat God the same way often. I think we treat God that way all the time. When you use hurtful words towards your peers, you're not trusting that God's way of treating others is better. When you lie in your confessional statements, you're acting out of fear that you're not good enough for what he's calling to you. And when you refuse to forgive that person, 
then you're not trusting that God will provide healing. Saul certainly treated God this way. Saul didn't trust that God would support him as a leader. And he was so afraid of the people rejecting him as king that he stopped listening to the voice that truly mattered. In reality, I think if he had truly listened and obeyed, if he had trusted God instead of taking matters into his own hands, I believe that God would have provided for him. So that's the question I have to ask you today. Do you believe that God will provide for you? Do you believe that if your ministry comes crashing down around you that he is still good? Do you believe that if you preach the gospel for years and never have a convert that he is still present? Do you believe that if you never plant that church or never move to that country that God will still see you as his beloved child? When we start to believe lies about God, we start to fear. And the only antidote to the poison of fear is trust. Trust is the key that unlocks this whole thing. So do you trust him? Do you trust God enough to listen to his voice? Guys, I've struggled with the answer to this question for a really long time. But he has made the answer so, so clear. If you ever have to ask if God is trustworthy, friends, look no further than the cross. We serve a God who is so faithful. So do you struggle with trusting God with your identity? Look to the cross. Do you struggle with trusting God with your brokenness? Look to the cross. Do you struggle with trusting God with your life plan? Friends, look to the cross. The cross proves that God alone is worthy of your trust. Not sports teams, not dorm floors, not political parties, not theological positions. Not family, not friends, not him, not her, not even you, only God. The cross shows that no matter how lost you are, your gracious Father will always come and find you. He'll run towards you with his arms open and eyes full of love ready to welcome you home. You can trust him. He's so faithful. And he's proven to us that his way is best. Listen to his voice. As we prepare to become leaders in God's kingdom, I think what we learn from King Saul is that we need to trust God with our ministry. You may be beat down, you may be burnt out, criticism may discourage you every day, but don't ever doubt that he is good and that what he is calling you to is so much better. Rebellion will always seem like the better option when we allow fear to rule our lives. But don't let any other voice drown out the voice of our king. Don't allow any other words to be your foundation. Obey his voice alone and allow him to guide you. He is faithful to love and to forgive and to provide. Trust him enough to listen to his voice.